back to the latest episode of In With The Old. We're the video podcast focused on dispelling myths, building appreciation for God's word, and helping you rediscover the Old Testament for the life of faith. We're going through the book of Ruth. In this series, we are going verse by verse, offering a video commentary for each passage of this just beautiful book. Today, we're starting in chapter two. And if you haven't been following us so far, I encourage you to pause this video and go back and catch up to this point. This is episode four in the series already, so not a lot of content, but enough that you'll want to know where we're at today. Joining me in this journey, as always, is my co-host, Dr. Tim Howe. Dr. Tim, welcome. How are you doing today? Well, I'm I'm doing excellent, Brian, and uh, I've so enjoyed being able to go through verse by verse. This is this is our heartbeat. This is what we love to do, and uh, and as we look to Ruth chapter two, there's uh, just a, a heart pumping narrative that really is going to continue, and so I'm ready to uh, get rolling, Brian. Excellent. So today's passage is chapter two, verses one through nine. In the last two episodes, we've introduced kind of more specifically our two main characters, first Naomi and then Ruth. And now we meet Boaz, Mr. Ruthless himself coming in in chapter two. It's a dumb joke. Get ready to hear it numerous times. We're both dads. It's what happens. Um, But I'm going to read, as always, this passage, verses one through nine. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. uh, And so here is Ruth chapter two, verses one through nine. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on our feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here, close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting, and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. It's a fascinating introduction in chapter 2 to Boaz. In some ways, we have a parallel to chapter 1. In chapter one, we are introduced to Elimelech and what happens to his family. Now we're introduced to another man who doesn't have a family, but is going to be dealing with family members. Tim, let me kick it over to you to get started. What yeah. do you see as we begin this chapter? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Like we said before, when we think of biblical narrative, every detail is important. This is highly selective. And the attention in chapter two is drawn to Boaz. We see the transition transition take place immediately. And it's relative to Naomi. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man, a man of normal character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. So our mind shifts to Boaz. And the question is, what role will Boaz play in this story? 
And mm -hmm. as we look, the very first verse, just in one verse, he's described to us both in terms of his uh, family lineage, but also in terms of his character. And there are a couple of key words that are used. He's described here as a gibor kail, a a mighty man, a powerful man, one of wealth. And this is a, a very important phrase because it can mean a lot of different things. Uh, and Dr. Bryan, can you maybe talk about some of the different nuances that might be possible as we look at this description of Boaz as a Gibor Kail? Yeah, so this phrase Gibor means right, powerful, mighty Kail, uh, can be wealth, can be strength, excessiveness. Um, mm -hmm. It can be used for both a financial description of Boaz. This could be describing him as a wealthy landowner, right? Someone mm -hmm. of the middle to upper class of society. But it also is a phrase used quite frequently to describe warriors. In fact, mm -hmm. if we go back just a few books to Joshua in Joshua chapter 8, he mm -hmm. assembles 30,000 Gibor Hayil to fight. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting description of Boaz. And I, I tend... Tim, to think it's important that we see that kind of strength aspect to it. Remember, this is set in the darkest period of Israelite history. They are yeah. constantly worried about invaders, foreigners coming in and kind of disposing them from their land. They don't have a king. They don't have a centralized government to defend themselves. The judges tend to be strong men that can come in and deliver people, or not all men in all cases, right? Um, but I think Boaz is intentionally being put forward as this kind of mighty figure. Instantly in our mind, this draws us to have a positive reflection on who Boaz is. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that designation, as you said, is important. Even his name uh, means something like in him is might or strength, right? Mm -hmm. We're supposed to see a mighty, mighty man, uh, mm -hmm. not necessarily an older man. We'll talk about that a little bit, why he calls Ruth daughter, uh, but someone in whom there's vitality and virility. Yeah. And, and it's interesting to me, Brian, obviously the narrator is trying to establish something in our minds. What kind mm -hmm. of man is Boaz? And as we think about the, this phraseology, it's going to become more apparent as we read the story, what kind of mighty man, what kind of wealthy man is he? Is he the kind of man who uses his power and his wealth to his own advantage? Because remember contextually, listeners, that we are in a period where every man does what's right in his own eyes. Or mm -hmm. will he be, kind, be the kind of man who is a faithful follower of the law of God? Will he demonstrate the kind of strength that also uses itself to help the weak and the poor and the vulnerable? So uh, I think we're meant to have this positive connotation. It's going to become more apparent, I think, as we move on. Uh, but this, is, this has been a theme, hasn't it, Brian? As we look at the names, even the names in the book of Ruth are incredibly important, whether it's Elimelech or Naomi or Ruth or Orpah or now Boaz, the names at least help tell the story. So, and Tim, if yeah. I could interject real quickly, mm -hmm. the strength of Boaz is also going to be important, listeners, as we consider where this book is in the canon. Remember mm -hmm. that we just left the book of Judges, which ends on the tribe of Benjamin stealing wives, mm -hmm. using their strength to literally kidnap women so their tribe does not go extinct. Mm -hmm. Here we are also going to have a story, right, of a man and a woman, a strong man. And there's going to be, a, I think, supposed to be in our minds, right, Tim, a strong comparison of Boaz is not like the Benjamites. 
Mm. Remember, the Benjamites are going to lead to the first King Saul. This is the line of David. And so even in the back of our heads, we're supposed to see what is a faithful follower of God and his family look like versus, unfortunately, the Benjamites and how they applied their strength. Sorry yeah. to interject, but I just want to make sure we got that in. No, very good. So verse one introduces Boaz to us as the readers. And then in verse two, we have this kind of interlude, if you will, where Ruth is going to speak to Naomi. And again, dialogue is incredibly important when it comes to reading narrative. The dialogue, in, in a sense, drives the story. And so verse two, Ruth the Moabites asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Brian, maybe could you briefly just give us some uh, context biblically as to uh, why that was necessary and how the law allowed for that? Sure. So in an agrarian society, realize, listeners, that most of their business, if we can use that term, is focused around agriculture. That's where wealth is. That's where food is. That's how life is made. Well, what happens if you're a disenfranchised member of society? The widows, the orphans, the foreigners. Ruth hits two of those categories. She is both a widow and a foreigner. What is what mechanisms are there to care for them since they probably, and in this case, surely do not own land? How can they be fed? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, a law is put into place that as people thresh their grain, right, as you harvest it, of course, you're going to drop some, right? As you're trying to bundle everything, you aren't going to be perfect in your bundle. Some's going to fall to the ground. When that happens, Deuteronomy says, you are to leave it. You aren't supposed to go back. You're basically what the leftovers are there as a kind of social insurance for those disenfranchised people. They are allowed to follow the harvesters mm -hmm. and kind of take up for themselves whatever they can gather. Mm -hmm. Now, two things, Tim, from just that verse two that you mentioned. First, the story continually puts in our face, this is Ruth the Moabitess. And yes. that's going to be important for our introduction to Boaz as well. So listeners, to make sure we see, we never really just call her Ruth. She's always Ruth, the Moabitess. She knows about this law or has been made aware of it in some way. But we also see a probably sad tendency in how these laws are carried out. Mm -hmm. There's there's a tendency, listeners, right, to take a very optimistic view uh, of people in the Bible. That, hey, they're, they're heroes, heroines, and everything must have been great. The law in Deuteronomy 24 is that the grain is supposed to be left if it falls down. Was that law actually followed? Notice that she doesn't say she's going to do this and it's assuredly going to happen. Ruth says, when I go into the fields and gather grain, maybe I can do that in someone's field with whom I find favor. Meaning she's saying I might have to ask for permission. I think that indicates that this law, although it's great in practice, much like the laws of Jubilee, which we have no record were ever actually followed. Um, this law may not have been followed. And she was aware that she is in a vulnerable position and might mm -hmm. have to ask for permission. But that's what she is going for, right? It's uh, trying to be able to care for those that would not have fields for themselves. As you gather grain, anything that fell to the ground was supposed to be left behind for people like her. Yeah, great point, Brian. And I totally agree. This is meant to set the stage for the dark backdrop where many people did not follow the law. And yet the dependence of her very life is on someone following the law of God and living it out uh, mm -hmm. in a way that that pushes back against greed, that pushes back against self-interest. And that's what we're going to see uh, with Boaz in just a few verses. 
So it continues, Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. And then I love this phrase, Brian, mm -hmm. in the CSB, it's translated, she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Yeah, and it's uh, happenstance, it's an yes. accident. Yeah, and, and of course, the, the author of the book of Ruth is, is saying this with a wink and a nod right? Yep. That in yep. her mind, from her perspective, she had no idea where she was going. But truly, God was leading her to this place. Why? Because God's kindness was, in a sense, going before her, right? He was preparing mm -hmm. this place for her, knowing that this is exactly where he wanted her to go. And as we think about this, I think it's particularly rich in light of what we've just read at the end of chapter one, where Naomi says, God's hand is against me. God, God has done this to me. And Naomi apparently felt like she didn't have the social standing to go and, and say, find someone that could let Ruth glean in her field. And yet in this moment, we see that God is working behind the scenes. And the author is wanting us to see that, that she just happened to happen. It's, it's that verbal cognate in Hebrew that we know and love, right, Brian? That yep. she happened to happen upon this field and, and it just happened to belong to Boaz. But of course, this is, again, driving the plot forward that now Boaz is going to come on the scene. We're going to see what kind of man he is. And we're also going to see that God's going to use Boaz uh, to, to play this role of redeemer in her life. So, uh, Brian, what do you make then as we get in verse four and, and we're starting to think of, of Boaz as a character, what kind of man he is? Boaz begins to speak. And in verse four, it says, he says to his harvesters, the Lord be with you. And then they respond, the Lord bless you. What, what do you see here in terms of the first words of Boaz? What kind of man are we to see him as in light of his words here? Well, it's no accident that the first words upon his lips are a blessing from Yahweh. Yahweh bless you. And the Lord bless you as well. I'm reminded almost of uh, Episcopalian, right? Uh, the Lord be with you and also with you, right? Mm -hmm. Some sort of rote blessing. But it, it's important in this time of spiritual darkness. Mm -hmm. Here is someone who starts with a covenant blessing, who recognizes mm -hmm. whose hand, right, blessings come from. This is going to be extremely important, Tim, I think, as we continue to develop Boaz as a, as a foil to Elimelech. Here mm -hmm. are two men from the same family. When the going got tough, Boaz stayed. Mm -hmm. We find him now in a place of wealth and prosperity, focused on Yahweh. The Lord bless you. Elimelech left. Now he has not returned just the remnants of his family in Naomi and Ruth. Mm -hmm. um, and so going to verse one, right? He's a strong man. He's a powerful man. What type of man? Verse four, a man who trusts in Yahweh. Um, yeah. And so we're supposed to be kind of building this like, oh, yes, here is a hero. Uh, you can cue the 80s song, I Need a Hero. Um, <laughs> that's the type of person you get. And you get a good sense that he is not just a wealthy uh, landowner. He is one that is respected and has some sort of good rapport with his workers because they return the blessing as well. Mm -hmm. We don't want to push too far behind the text, Tim, right? But there is an interesting question. Boaz stayed here through the famine. What, and I think there's some implication here, he has remained faithful and cared for not just the lives of himself, but the lives of his workers through that. And they mm -hmm. have now come into prosperity, right? There's the, there's this jovial feeling uh, mm -hmm. that is just fantastic as we're introduced to him. Yeah. And as he comes upon his field where he sees his workers and then he sees someone he doesn't recognize, this mm -hmm. young 
woman, right? So we see his words, and then we're going to see how he acts. So Tim, let's walk through maybe verses six and seven. He asks who this young woman is. What's the first thing? It's so fascinating, isn't it? What's the first (laughs) thing his workers notice and say when they're like, oh, yeah, we want to talk about her. We say, yes. What do they say? Yeah, they say this is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. She's a Uh, Moabite woman. We can't get away from it. Right. And and as we think about this in our minds, uh, we can over imagine things. But I think the greater error would be to underimagine. You know, in my imagination, I almost wonder if he kind of whispers this into Boaz's ear or if he yeah. he says it with a kind of like, hey, you know, she's a Moabite, that that kind of, <laughs> you know, there's there's something you need to know about this young woman. There goes uh, the neighborhood. Something that is not kosher. Right. Um, and, and, and yet, as we think about this, the, the servant is, in a sense, trying to look after his master's interests. He's, mm-hmm. he's noting that this is incredibly unusual. And of course, this is the time of bar, you know, this is the time of harvest. So this is a time of celebration. Everyone would have been in good spirits. Uh, and, and, and there's some debate here, Brian. This is interesting. This is something that I learned studying this, that, that some people look at this and they say that the, the servant is essentially uh, kind of indicting Ruth, that she's been too bold and that he's allowed her because he kind of had to, but that he's really looking for Boaz to respond negatively. Um, and, and I can see some merit to that. I, I'll say personally, I've tended to, to read it in terms of the servant looking at her and saying, yes, she's a Moabite, but she came on her feet. Uh, she's been on her feet rather since early this morning, except the time that she rests a little bit. And so it, it's kind of a mixed review if you will, mm-hmm. of the servant to Boaz. But I'm, I'm interested, Brian, and I know this might be off the cuff a little bit, but how do you read it? How do you understand the servant's reaction to, to Ruth here? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mixed bag. And this is one of those that we aren't given a reading cue, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. say read with this tone or intention. And that does change things sometimes, right? Rather drastically. Yeah. I think in verse six, especially, so there's, there's two parts to the servant's reply for six and verse seven. Mm-hmm. And I think we see kind of a mixed bag to him as you were kind of intimating. Mm-hmm. Verse six, he foregrounds the negative. Right. She's a young Moabite woman. Like it's so fascinating. He, I would assume had heard her name, especially if he knows that she's the one attached to Naomi. Her name mm-hmm. doesn't come up though. It's Naomi's name who's brought up. Um, but that does seem somewhat negative or pejorative. Like mm-hmm. why focus on that? However, then verse seven seems to be begrudging admiration or at least a kind of like, she's dedicated, Boaz. Um, There is some ambiguity, listeners. So the the phrase, she came and has been on her feet, can Mm. mean one of two things. It could mean, look, she's arrived and she's been harvesting the field basically nonstop. She's been very diligent. She's been very hardworking. That's Mm. totally fine with the grammar. It could also mean she's been standing there waiting for Boaz's approval since she arrived early in the morning. And mm-hmm. likewise, regardless of which one you take, the, the point is the same. She is dedicated to this cause to care for Naomi. She maybe has been gleaning all this time. She's maybe been waiting to get permission all this time. Um, mm-hmm. So it's maybe a distinction without a difference, Tim, but I want to bring it up. There is some ambiguity on what precisely he means. But the upshot, I think, in verse 7 is that's a that's a begrudging admiration of Look, yeah. she's she's dedicated to be here, uh, Moabite though she may be. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is kind of interesting, right, to kind of go, well, what tone is the servant making this reply? 
Right. Thankfully, I think we can say, right, Boaz doesn't rise to the bait if there's negative bait in here from the servant. Um, yeah. but it has a really fascinating reply as we transition to verse eight. Yeah. Right. He looks at her and says, listen, my daughter. Mm-hmm. Now, Tim, on the basis of that, the tradition typically is to see Boaz as an older man. Uh, right. And also based on something he's going to say later in the, the book. Uh, and in fact, rabbinic tradition and one rabbinic tradition, Boaz dies on their wedding night from a nosebleed because he's too old and shall we say the vigorous activities wear him out. Um, <laughs> is that a proper reading of listen, my daughter or, or what all as Boaz looks to Ruth? Yeah. Why does he say, listen, my daughter? And what's the implications of that? Yeah. Well, well, let's deal with that in two parts. The the phrase "my daughter" does not necessarily imply age, so it mm. it really speaks mostly to social status, to sh- social standing. That he, as a pillar in the community, as a leader, uh, can look at her affectionately and say "my daughter" without it indicating an enormous gap of time. And by the way, that phrase daughter is the same thing that Naomi referred to Ruth as. And and that kind Mm -hmm. of is a thematic word that keeps coming up. But when we think of of daughter, it's a relational term. And in particular, in chapter two, it's meant to contrast with the idea that she's a Moabite. In other words, the servant only sees Moabite and he looks at her and he sees daughter. And daughter implies relationship, daughter implies protection, daughter implies family. And it also implies, or at least foreshadows, Boaz's willingness to treat her, not as some kind of foreigner who needs to be purged, but rather as someone who can be fully embraced in the covenant community. So I don't think my daughter entails age, although where interpreters look and see a potential age difference is, is especially even in the phrases, uh, young woman and young men. Because he refers to her as a young woman, that, and that, that's a broad word that could mean a lot of different things. Uh, it's not like there was a particular age range associated with that word. Uh, but he does refer to her as a young woman. She, he does refer to the young men, not allowing them to touch her. Uh, and so some people see an age distinction there. But I don't think we can stretch my daughter as implying definitely an age gap. What, what say you, Brian? Yeah, I think it speaks much more as a direct rebuttal to the servant. The servant yeah. looked at her and saw a young Moabite woman. Boaz looks at her and sees family. Uh, and that can't be overstated. Family mm-hmm. is key. Family is the thing you owe chesed to, right? Covenant fidelity. You have a relationship and obligation to your family, not mm-hmm. just your local clan, but right to the nation and then to God by extension. But that mm-hmm. family unit is key. He addresses her as that family is to be cared for families to be protected from outsiders. She has been moved through this very short phrase. Listen, my daughter, from being an outsider to being an insider. Uh, And so I don't maybe you can read age in here, but I think that misses the point. Right. This point is moving her into a new category in the community. She is not Ruth the Moabite. She is Ruth of the family of Elimelech and of the family of Boaz, right, of that clan. So that's where I kind of want to put the emphasis, uh, Tim, rather than on any age distinction. Yeah, in, in, in such a way, almost like a let it be known, everyone, that I am referring to her as my daughter. And, yeah. and of course, this is where Boaz admirably now uses his influence, his power, and in his nobility, he says, and I want you to stay here. I want you to know that you are safe here. I've ordered the young men not to touch you. Um, 
Brian, maybe you can walk us through uh, just briefly. What does that mean? Why would he have to order the young men not to touch her? Yeah. So let me back up just a hair. Mm -hmm. uh, what Boaz says is very important. She has been made family and he's going to now provide for her. So he says a couple things, listeners. And verse mm -hmm. eight, which will then explain why he says the young men not to touch her. But he says, I want you to stay here and stay close to the female servants. It was common for, or a common practice was to have, right, male threshers and male harvesters, and then have the women or the female servants come behind to do the bundling. Mm -hmm. So he has moved, by the way, Ruth up in the pecking order. She is no longer gleaning after they come through. She's going with them. So that's mm -hmm. going to increase the amount she's going to be able to take from this field for herself. Mm -hmm. So he provides for her already there. But it is then worth noting this is going to be a male dominated area and she is a foreigner in the eye. I mean, the servant saw her as a foreigner first. Could she be vulnerable physically? Um, it is worth noting, Tim, I think as you were alluding to the not touch her is a euphemistic phrase, shall we say? Mm -hmm. It could have physical harm connotations. It could also have sexual assault connotations. Mm -hmm. The key point in both Places, though, is Boaz is saying, I'm putting my stamp of protection upon you. People mm -hmm. now know, and we've seen he is a mighty man. You do not mess with her unless you want to mess with me. Right. <laughs> and so that's a, a fairly firm shield of protection he's now placed upon her. And yeah. as well within when you're thirsty, go drink from the jars. Everything that I've prepared to care for my workers during the heat of the day, you are free to partake of as well. Mm. It's a truly magnanimous and very generous response to this woman, which is what we're supposed to get out of this, right? This is a positive, positive, positive response. The blessings that God has given to Boaz, he is freely distributing without looking for something, right? There's no catch. This is being given to her uh, as an extension of her faithfulness. We'll see next time to Naomi. Um, but yeah, I think those three things are there, Tim. Let me turn it back over to you to go ahead and bring us on home. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Brian. And I, I, I don't want to overread, but I think it, it could be there. When we see even the servant's description of Ruth, uh, Ruth knows that she's in a precarious situation. Ruth, yes. Ruth knows that she's vulnerable. And so I tend to look even at his description of her being on her feet and sitting only a little bit of time for rest as a kind of self-protection that she understands if I get caught resting or if I put myself in a vulnerable position where someone could take advantage of me, it could go very poorly for me. And so when you think she didn't have water, she didn't have food, she didn't have protection, she was vulnerable. She was a foreigner among strangers and she knew that was the first thing that she saw. And so as you mentioned, Brian, this could not have been a more night to day moment whenever Boaz the owner of the field, Boaz, the pillar of the community, comes and essentially bestows upon her the honor that he has himself. He brings her in, and in that moment, she responds, and this is where we're going to come to you next time. Her response sees this act of faithfulness as just what it is, truly finding favor in the eyes of the person that God led her to. So an incredible start to this chapter, and uh, look forward to getting into the next chapter or the next, next section. Yeah, listeners, we invite you to join us next time as we continue on this journey. We're going to see Ruth's response to this just beautiful shield of protection that Boaz has placed around her. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13. So I invite you to come back next time. Keep digging into the word of God with us. 
If you have questions about the book of Ruth, about anything we've covered, or just about the Old Testament in general, please drop a comment in this video or send us a message at inwiththeoldpodcast at outlook.com. We look forward to helping you in your faith journey and in understanding God's word. And until next time, stay cool and stay old. Have a wonderful day. Bye.